Bill and Garden, welcome to Black Lord Tribal Edition right across the planet today. Murumu here with you and uh, it's a wonderful week and joining me today in the studio is Ganyara of Yalmabra, the Acting Attorney General for the Sovereign Energy Government and um, we're, well, it's been a busy week uh, and uh, it's been one that's been quite uh, um, colourful inside of the Australian realm uh, because uh, this week they were celebrating Sorry Day um, and I think Kevin Rudd said sorry uh, many years ago now, I think in 2008. I was in Machunk at that time, which is uh, known to Australians as Pomperau, and watching the speech, and it was very, very emotional. And I think uh, there was a, a sense of relief, but it also triggered a lot of uh, trauma and things amongst this, what people would say is the stolen generations. Uh, Ganyara, when I look at then, you know, everyone celebrated it. But when you look at this story by Nakari Thorpe on the ABC. It says 14 years on from the national apology. Healing continues amid fears of another stolen generation. You know, in uh, there are more uh, children, Aboriginal, Indigenous children of Aboriginal descent rather, in and out of home care now than there have, has ever been. And this is 14 years after the Australian government said sorry and they said, sorry for taking your children, but it keeps going. Well, before we go too far, let's have a look at a couple of things here. First up, the stolen generation now. Going back then, that was a whole different ball game to what's going on now. Um, remember the legal identity is important all the way through this stuff. Now, what went on going back years that, that Rudd was saying sorry for, which is, by the way, why would he say sorry for something unless there was a crime or something did happen and it was serious? The serious crime was, you know, they were forcibly removing children from one nation or one society into another society. And, by the way, that, that is an identical um, description of genocide. You know, Article 2, Part E of the uh, Genocide Act 1949, it actually says if you forcibly remove children from one nation to another nation, that, that's committing uh, genocide. And that's exactly what they've done back then. But what they've done subsequently from then is they have now encouraged the Indigenous people to assimilate in the life of the state, take up an Australian identity, and if you don't comply under Australian law, anyone, black, white or brindle, they can actually forcibly remove your children and put them into foster care, be whatever it is. Um, so it's not a stolen generation now. What was a stolen generation then was actually genocide. Uh, but it's because they are seen legally uh, through the Australian identity, it can't be genocide. Yes, this is what they said. The citizenship has been conferred, it's been offered, uh, you've accepted to hold Australian citizenship, therefore you accept uh, all the laws and legislations and uh, the roles and uh, rights and responsibilities as an Australian under, in accord with the Australian Constitution Act of, uh, of 1901. So that's where I can see this is a really big, a big difference, as you pointed out. Indigenous Australians whether they be of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent, must uphold the Australian law. If the Australian law, be it right or wrong, have deemed that that child needs to be moved from that family for its safety, then they're going to have to do it. However, if it's a Yudinji child with Yudinji identification, Yudinji citizenship, very dangerous for any Australian to interfere. Well, that then becomes genocide. Um, but we'll go back to the application of law inside Australia just recently on these young fellas being taken away, these kids being taken away. You don't think that the authorities might be applying the law a little bit more heavily upon those who have darker skin or Indigenous heritage? You know, you think about this. Uh, the, white, the white supremacist idea is still there. Now, that was made known to us by a couple of senators at the time back in 2017 that, yes, there is this um, white supremacist belief inside the big house down there in Canberra. Um, that the white people are more superior, that they're more intelligent, they're more whatever, and that the Indigenous people being dark are, are lesser people than, than the white fellas. So that is still there. So it's in the police force, it's ingrained everywhere, not only in the police force, the courts, the judges, everything else, politics, you name it, just right down to the mums and dads. There's still this you know, belief that the white people are more better. Um, but in saying that... There is uh, a conflict of also uh, nations, you know, where in Aboriginal law, um, if you give your kid a clout under the ear, that might be all well and good. But in whitefellow law, if you give them a clout under the ear, that might be assault. 
they might do, they might, the child might divorce its parents. In some in some UN member states, uh, then they're under the laws, the, the young people can divorce them from their parents now. Absolutely, I actually read an article about that about you know, four or five years ago, where a child was divorcing his parents. You know, and I'm going, dude, this is crazy stuff. Uh, where does parental responsibility start and end? You know, when you start doing this stuff. But remember, it's all the legal identity. It's the piece of paper stuff. Uh, so if you're seen legally, and your child is seen legally through the Australian identity, I'm afraid to say it's not a stolen generation. They're just applying the law a little bit more heavily, which is unfair, by the way, uh, than what they would apply to maybe some of the richer white people. You think about that. But it is still the law. The courts still have to give the court order. If, if it's deemed that they're going to cause harm and injury to the child or something's going to happen, they have to remove the child. Um, then if they don't remove the child and something does happen to the child, then, it, then everyone's howled down, you know, the police didn't do the right thing, why didn't you save me, child? So they're between a rock and a hard place. They've got to uphold the law, but they should uphold it fairly and equally across the board. That's the difference. But what happened years ago where Rudd said sorry, um, you know, sorry for what? What was the crime? That was the crime of taking my grandmother from her tribal lands uh, as a child... Uh, catching possums and kangaroos at that time, not speaking English, uh, and then uh, forcing her into the, the mission um, system and then uh, forcing her or giving her an Australian name or an identity, etc. Uh, the, the, the crime was already done. And uh, as we know, uh, that's uh, not acceptable. So I think um, you're right, though, uh, a... In Queensland, for example, if we can talk about that, that realm, uh, it is acceptable now, by law, that Queensland police officers can arrest children as long as and detain them as, as young as 10 years old. So that's that's the the franchise or the rules of that realm. Now, that's what I'm saying. If you hold an Australian identity, you've said this on the program, you've, you've signed away your death sentence. Because if you go overseas somewhere and you break a law, there is a death sentence there. For, for certain activities. It might be offending the royal family or it could be doing something else. So, But that wasn't really explained to a lot of the citizens of the world because there's trillions and trillions of laws around the planet and each UN member state has its own laws and there's UN laws and international laws and private law and public law. and It's just gone, gone ballistic. Well, it is. And, and, and you come back to the death penalty there. Um, you're absolutely correct. You know, there are many nations around here... Um, like the Asian nations that have death penalty for drugs, even the US, you know, they have death penalty. Saudi Arabia, Japan even have put a, um, recently put a bloke to death. Um, understand what's going on. Now, in Australia, we don't have the death penalty per se, but when you use the Australian identity and through treaty with, say, Indonesia, for example, because that's a good one, the Bali Nine, um, when the Australians left here they were and, and, and ended uh, Indonesia, they were actually subject to Indonesian law where the death penalty applies through treaty with Australia, Indonesia could apply the death penalty to Australian citizens that broke the drug laws over there. And what happened to those couple of kids? They got, they got cleaned up, they got killed. What they should have done, and this is, this is where I'm actually in the process of writing a bit of a, a paper regarding this, is that they should have killed the birth certificate. The, a paper government would have no right to kill a human unless you agree to do so. They should have killed the birth certificate, taken that off them, and said, now you are, you are no one. You, aren't be, you can't be seen legally in the UN world because you committed such atrocious crimes as, you know, supplying drugs to kill everyone. <clears throat> so you don't have a person to be seen legally through. Go back to your tribe. Go back to your mob. That I, I remember someone saying this about uh, somebody else about, uh, uh, we should, uh, let's hold that person in, in, uh, in, in custody permanently. Uh, and I think that was a, a former Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Australia saying that of a certain, certain other person. <laughs> it was, but that they couldn't apply the law. Our Yudinji person was outside the reach of the Australian uh, government. Outside I think the that was Australian person. Absolutely, they were looking for an Australian person, an Australian identity, and look, they can lock that person up all they like. But if you identify through that person, and you'll notice it when you go through the airports, uh, coming you know, on international flights, when you come through customs, they actually say, "Is this you?" 
You should be saying, no, this is not me, but it's a picture of me, and I'm just carrying this for the state. You're only the courier. The body is not the picture. The picture is not the body. Get this correct. You know, in our own mind, we've got to understand we are not the identity. The identity is owned by Australia in this instance here, um, or our identity is, it's, you know, the Yadinji one is owned by the Yadinji government, the Yadinji nation, which is not Australia. So that's why the, the uh, magistrate at the time said, if you're not one of ours, you're free to go at large, there's the front door. Um, we're out, the Yadinji nation and its citizens are outside the reach of the Australian law, they're outside the framework of the Australian Constitution. It cannot reach back there. The Australian Constitution cannot be applied to anyone that, is, that, were, that was there outside of the Australian Constitution. You've got to agree to it through citizenship. And this is why it's really important to remember that in the early 1900s, here in the city of Gimoy, Gimoy, uh, Yini uh, under tribal law killed a man. And that man was... Uh, committing iniquity he was he was doing wrong so that was a correct uh, application of tribal law but then the crown court dragged him into the australian realm he wore clothes he didn't wear shoes by the way into the courtroom and he's had his foot feet on the land and the court said we can't deal with this bloke let him go he's free to go at large wind the clock forward you know a uh, hundred years plus and uh, the Foreign Affairs Minister for the Sovereign Union Government gets dragged into that place and is also free to go at large because we weren't holding membership inside the Australian realm. That's really important. It doesn't mean we get away with murder or laws and, and things like that because those things are strictly upheld. Yini was Nyalan... He was boss, and he knew the Yudinji law back to front, in his sleep, back of his hand. Murumu couldn't be held inside of Australia because he holds membership inside the Yudinji society. That's the difference there. But we formed the sovereign Yudinji government, as in the elders, not me, Yudinji, to stop our mob from doing that stuff and getting away with it under Australian law, for example. So, you know, I didn't want to be going off my head and killing people and getting away with it because that's dangerous. The Yudinji courts have been set up. The tribal council has been set up. If I do that kind of stuff and I do it incorrectly or against the law, I'm in big, big trouble. And so uh, anyone else saying that they're Yudinji. You can't go stealing cars. You can't go defacing buildings. You can't go do this and that because the Yudinji courts and the Yudinji police are going to have to enforce that law because the elders, Janela Yudinji, the tribal council of elders, set up the government to protect the Yudinji nation, its name, its reputation around the world and to protect everyone who calls this place home. It sure is. You know, we go back to the court where the judge said, if you're not one of ours, there's the front door, you're free to go at large. That should have been a panic button inside... There should have been a panic button inside the police station in Cairns where they worked out, what the hell happened? We just lost control of one identity, well, one bloke on this country. And that's the very reason why the Yudinji government had to create the Yudinji police force and have officers that can go and arrest that... Say, say Murumu, the foreign minister, goes berserk and he starts, you know, ransacking the place or killing people. Who's the only one that can touch him? the Yudinji police. The Queensland police can't go near him. That would be once again uh, a declaration of war. If they come along to, to take out our uh, people, that's a declaration of war. Nothing short of it. So they're actually crossing into our territory, so to speak, our jurisdiction. But, the only, but there are people who can now lock Murmur up, can arrest him, can put him before the court, and that's our police officers. He comes into our court, he's brought before the courts, and he's sentenced or judged accordingly there. Um, so that's why the importance of police. They're there to protect people, but they're also there to uphold the law and, and to ensure that people are upholding the law. It's a double-edged sword, but always remember that. Um, so we say to anyone, if you want to come to the Yudinji side, it all depends on what level, but at the government level there's no capital punishment at the citizenship level. But if you want to go full tribal, there's still the death penalty. There's still capital and corporal punishment there. You know, this is very serious. So... There's nothing to force a, a Yudinji man or woman to take up citizenship inside the Yudinji nation. They already have blood connection to country. Uh, but at that level, it's, it's deadly serious, I tell you now. Yeah, and that's why um, 
I, I had that chat uh, this morning, actually, that this Gujinji government has got nothing to do with tribal law, but it operates under the instruction of the elders, the ones that set it up, because in their wisdom and their uh, future uh, projection, they could see something like this is needed, because they can say, this government can deal with the Commonwealth of Australia. Uh, entity to entity, administration to government. Because um, Australia can't deal with on tribal law. Because Australia's not a tribe. They're a derivative of Britain, British law. But they're here. But we're going to look after them, they said. You know, so, you know, thank you for all the elders out there for your wisdom. And thank you for the many Yudinji families that support us. Uh, we know that you support us. Uh, and even for the ones, you know, people who may not totally agree with it. Um, this is for your children and your children's children. Got nothing to do with me, Ganyara, and anyone else, but we uh, volunteer our time to make sure that their mob in the future are looked after. And that's why we do this. Uh, it's because we need to do that. It doesn't interfere with the Australian realm as much, um, but we're here to look after the land councils, for example. We're here to look after the schools, the, the hospitals, the Navy base, everything else. But it needs that treaty, and the Yurindji people need to be dealt and have a fair go about it. You know what I mean? So that's what this comes down to. You're listening to Black Law Tribal Edition right across the planet, thanks to the Yurindji Broadcast Service. If you're listening to this inside of Australia and outside the Yurindji Territory, it's most likely through our friends at Bumavibra Media 98.7 and the National Indigenous Radio Service. Hey you mob, my name is Dr Debbie Bargalli. I'm from the Kamilaroi and Wanarua nations from northwest New South Wales. 
listening to BBM 98.7 FM, your Murray radio station's hearing hands. Program. Um, Harry Hobbs wrote an article recently in The Conversation. Harry Hobbs is a big fan of the origination, by the way, uh, on social media. He likes uh, some of the comments we put up there because uh, I think he can see 
that the Indian nation is here to protect the Commonwealth of Australia. So there are a number of legal professionals, uh, judges, um, you name it, uh, great Australians uh, who know what we're all about. He's talked about this non-Indigenous Australians shouldn't fear a First Nations voice to Parliament. And he's written the article in theconversation.com. Go and have a look if you want. Just do a, uh, a Google search or something like that. Duck, duck, go. Whatever you're using, Bing. All right. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting article and one that um, he's, he's saying their constitutional voice is workable. I think it's always going to be workable inside of Australia, but it's got to be upholding the Constitution and not exceeding its constitutional power and authority. And that's where Yudinji comes along and says, look, thanks very much, but we're doing it this way here, but we're going to connect and look after you. The, the problem with the voice to Parliament, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's a, it is a toy telephone. There's nothing more to it. So it can't be, you know, it, it can't be another third chamber of parliament. It can't be anything else because there is only two, two chambers, the upper house, the lower house, you know, the Senate and the reps. Um, so you can't have something else created because the Constitution created that. The Australian Constitution created the representatives and the Senate. No third chamber, nothing else for Indigenous peoples, nothing for Yudinji. So you've got to fit within that framework now. Otherwise you've got to rewrite the Constitution, which is a major job, especially for Australia. Um, a voice to Parliament uh, does not have any veto powers. You can't change law. You can't do anything with it. You can have input only, um, just like any other anyone else can through their uh, representative. You know, like you just go to your local member for the House of Reps, have a yarn to him about legislation that's affecting you. That's your voice. Um, but they want to make a special one here, which I'm a little bit against because it's racist. You're actually giving someone a little bit more input based on race. So. That shouldn't be, shouldn't be the case. All Australians are created equal. Black, white, brindle, I don't care. All Australians are equal. Yeah, through membership, through the personality. Yeah, through, through the legal identity. You can't bring colour into this. You can't bring race into this because pieces of paper aren't racist. Now, uh, racist is, uh, racism isn't in the mind of man. That's, that's the sad part about this. So why does someone look down on us, that we were talking about earlier in the show, because we're black? Because it's their mind, not the paper. It's not the, not the policeman's badge that's looking down on you, but the policeman himself. So, same here. Um, the voice, what's the good of it? What's the good of going through the exercise of enshrining something in, in the Constitution somewhere which can't be, you know, uh, it, it, where does it fit in there for a start? But what's the good of it if you don't have a, a power to change or veto laws that are affecting you directly as a, a race-based people? Um, it's useless, it's hopeless, it's a total waste of time and money, kicking the can down the road. Um, and in that, actually, that, that conversation article that you mentioned there with Harry Hobbs, who, yes, you are right, he is a great bloke, he's well-researched, well, um, he's well-read, he makes a statement there from uh, Professor uh, Davis, Megan Davis, um, that this is the uh, way that, uh, how could you say, the Indigenous Australian can participate in the life of the state. If you read Article 5 of the UN Declaration of Rights for Indigenous Peoples, they, the Indigenous Peoples uh, have the right to revitalise all their institutions, uh, whatever it be, courts, governments, uh, police force, you name it, while they've got a right to participate fully, if they so choose, in the life of the state. So this is for Indigenous Australians, you know. This is where the state is. Um, so this is, in, in one half of the UN Declaration of Rights for Indigenous People, the state. But you've also got a right to go back to where your sovereignty coexists with the state, and that is back in the Indigenous nation, the pre-colonial Indigenous nation, the one that was here first, by the way, and the one whose sovereignty hasn't been ceded, and the, or, nor has it been extinguished. And that comes from the Uluru Statement from the Heart, of which Megan Davis read out in 2017. You know, the Prime Minister at the time, back in 2015, picked about a dozen good constitutional experts. So it's handpicked by the, by the Prime Minister. The opposition supported it and set them forth to go, to go out and work out the recognition of Indigenous peoples in the Australian Constitution. They come back with a statement, the earlier statement from the heart, um, that Megan Davis read out to the world that the Indigenous nations were the first sovereign nations on the country. They're still here today. They were here by about 60,000 years, so give or take a few years, slightly beat Australia. Um, they were the owners of the place, pursuant to their law. You know, not, not Australian law. And then she goes on further, or the statement reads out further, that the... Um, the, the Indigenous nations, whose sovereignty, by the way, is unseated, it hadn't been ceded at all, given away in part or in whole, and it hadn't been extinguished, and it coexists with the life of the state. 
Now, we'll go forward to what was said in the little article by Harry Hobbs. As Megan Davis said, this is how people can participate in the life of the state, the Indigenous Australians. So she's talking about one half. Megan Davis is a great Australian. She actually wrote a book uh, with George Williams, you know, another constitutional expert. And in that book, page 121, probably about the second last paragraph on the bottom of the page, it actually says, you know, that the Aboriginal people, the Indigenous peoples, have every right to go and reassert their sovereignty on their country because the Australian Constitution affects Australians only. That's why our foreign minister was not, couldn't be picked up in the court. If you're not one of ours, there's it all. You're free to go at large. Go back to your government. Go back to the one under Article 3, 4 and 5 of the UN Declaration. Rebuild your world. Come back. Do your stuff. Megan Davis and George Williams say it in the book. You know, you can reassert your sovereignty. The Australian Constitution is Australian law. That's the Australian representation of law. That's where it all comes from. But our law is still here. As Megan said in the Uluru Statement, it is unceded. So this is just showing you, uh, this little article is showing you that Megan Davis knows exactly, exactly what the voice to parliament is. It's just a toy telephone. You can't veto law, you can't change law because all law is applied equally to all Australians in this place. Not us. We're not Australian. We never were. We were never allowed to take part. Actually, at the time of Federation, um, the Indigenous peoples weren't allowed to participate in the um, referendum coming up to it. They weren't allowed to participate in the conventions that led up to that. Then after that, 1901, uh, when they passed the Franchise... or Actually, 1902, when they passed the Franchise Act, 1902, uh, Indigenous people, Aboriginal people, were excluded from everything in Australia. Yes, and that's where we can say that the, the, even though the papers are racist, the people that created it were because they're the ones who said that Aboriginal people are not even intelligent enough to cast a vote. And there was all that uh, uh, type of head-measuring um, type of, uh, you know, they're, they're from monkeys and, and all that kind of rubbish uh, going about, and they're subhuman, um, they're barbarians, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're monkeys. You know, that kind of stuff that the Europeans had with the, the same look with the, with the Asian or the African peoples or the Latin Americans, uh, uh, the American indigenous peoples, etc. Well, we'll go back to the time of Federation when they were debating uh, about the uh, inclusion of Aboriginal people. They actually said at the time, Isaac Isaacs and H.B. Higgins, that the Aboriginal people were unable, they weren't intelligent enough to cast a vote. You know, come and give me a break, they can get a monkey to draw a mark on a paper now. Um, so this is what the, the white mentality was. But then you come forward to 1941-42. Prime Minister Curtin at the time said, this will always, Australia will always be the homeland of the British in the South Pacific. This is the homeland of the British race. Fair enough. This is the white Australia. They actually, they actually said it there. This is the white Australia. That's good. It's a racist... Uh, the intention of the Australian Constitution was to be racist. It was to be the white Australia, as Curtin uh, reinforced in 1941. Um, so... We were left out. Even then at the 1967 referendum, they just removed the word Aboriginal out of the Constitution, but they did not slot anything else in its place to say that they could make law for Aboriginal people. If you participate in the life of the state, if you want to assimilate in the life of the state, you sure can through Article 5, which is what Megan Davis is saying in this, uh, was quoted as saying in this article by Harry Hobbs. The voice to Parliament is the way you can participate in the life of the Commonwealth of Australia. No ifs, no buts about it. But you've also got the other world where your sovereignty, by the way, that, that's the authority to make law for country, the, the authority to own the territory, uh, you have the right to go back to there under Article 3, 4 and 5, under Article 8, they can't force you to assimilate. Um, but the one that Australia fear the most, the one that they're so frightened of, by the way, which is the reason why they voted against uh, the UN Declaration of Rights for Indigenous Peoples back in 2007, they wouldn't support it, was Article 28. That was, give the place back Give them somewhere equal or pay for the place. And that's the very reason why Australia would not, would not support that declaration. They supported it two years later. I think New Zealand come back in about 2011. The Americans eventually supported it and so the Canadians. Now, I see Canada is actually starting to bring it into legislation. But as they keep saying, this is an aspirational document. It sure is. It sure is. It's got nothing to do with law in Australia, but it shows intention of Australia that they support that the Aboriginal people, like the Yidinji Nation, come back, bring all its laws back to life. And that's exactly what we're doing. Now it's been acknowledged that the sovereignty has not been ceded at all, in part, in whole, whatever. So our sovereignty is still intact 100%, which is the reason why 
we had to try and grant Australia a small bit of territory back in 2017. Remember taking that to Parliament down there in the big house? And give Brandis, George Brandis, by the way, the one who said lock them all up, give him a bit of a heart attack. We tried to grant them a little bit of territory so they could negotiate with us as equals. You know, the uh, Vienna Convention on Treaties, it actually says you must negotiate equal. Where's Australia's territory? If we own it, where's theirs? The only thing we can do is to give them a little bit so they've got a small bit of territory to put their constitution on so that they can negotiate with us as equals. But until that happens, they can never be equal. Where's the homeland of the Australian people? You know, Pauline Hanson, she's a good Indigenous Australian. I like that. I support that. She's an Australian. Blackfellow, Whitefellow, doesn't matter. She's an Australian. But we aren't. We're the pre-colonial Indigenous nation that was here first. We haven't seen sovereignty. Yes, that's right. And... Um the Minister for Education has just joined us, uh, Yurulam uh, Gurumina. Uh, Yurulam, uh, we were just talking about uh, earlier how Kevin Rudd made the big apology in 2008 there, but when you look at um, foster care numbers, uh, Indigenous children in and out of care, foster care or whatever it is, it's, it's increased at those highest levels. And... Um, you know, I think about those things and the voice to Parliament. You know, a leopard can't change its spots. Australia can only be for Australia. It can't be for Yudinji. It can't be for Cookie Yalanji. It can't be for the Arundo. It can't be for the Walpri or whoever else there is out there, right? It's always going to be for Australia. That's why we're saying to the tribes now, go back to your law, set up your government, have a look at it, and, and and interact with the Commonwealth. Give it instruction or direction. Give it a home like we're trying to do. Look after it, but make it absolutely clear that those jurisdictions are, are separate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the voice to Parliament um, is sort of, uh, in one sense, going astray and, and, in a sense, justifying itself by this difference between nationhood and statehood. And it is truly, once you talk parliament, you can only talk statehood. You can't talk nationhood if that's the their meaning that they're using, where they really are referring to all the cultural uh, aspects of a people. And none of that really exists other, other than if it's written down in a law. And there are no laws written down in parliament for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this country. Um, and to do that, as I've heard Ganyara say many times, w- would be uh, against the, the constitution itself because it's given favouritism to one group over another. Um, there, there is uh, Australian citizens, and that's the end of it. You can't have any, anything separated out. The same as there is your dingy citizens. And, you know, uh, I, my skin is white, so I'm not treated differently from other people with different coloured skin in this nation. We're all equal. Yes, and... Uh that's that's uh, a blessing from the Idinji Tribal Council as well. They have very similar uh, outlooks on this particular issue. Um, the Idinji families know who's who in the zoo, and uh, there's no insecurity about that. And that's what I like about this place. It's pretty cool, easy going, and uh, the SYG is moving forward because of the elders, because of the Idinji families, and all the others that are supporting it right now. That's why we're the first nation in the world, uh, Indigenous, to develop its uh, sovereign self-government identification program, the digital one that is, and the central bank. Uh, We're one of very few around the world to uh, have a digital currency that interacts with the ID. So Udinji is creating waves. There was a recent uh, article in City AM, and City AM, for those listening out there who don't know, is a very influential financial and business publication in in the city of London, and they're talking about Yudinji Central Bank and how wonderful it is, and how cutting edge it is. Now, if people heard of Bitcoin, you heard of Bitcoin. Well, imagine that's a bronze medal at Olympics. What Yudinji's got is triple gold medal, platinum, double encrusted, diamond plated, whatever you want to call it. It's 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 an amazing thing. So it really is wonderful that the Udinji nation, as it should, be held above all nations on the Udinji territory. And if you're, if you're a, a believer in the Holy Scriptures, I would invite you to read Deuteronomy 28, first 14 verses in there. It says, if you listen to my voice, Gaiabara, that is the spirit, one true God here, name for Udinji, 
I'm going to bless you on all these levels. You're going you're gonna to borrow, lend money to all these different nations. You're not going to borrow. Anyway, you read it. I'm encouraging you now. Okay? Have a look at that. That's very important. Anyway, so, but if you don't listen to there's all those curses too. You've got to read them too. So just watch out. But uh, anyway, we, we, he's looking after us. So anyway, I think um, we're going to go to another break and then we'll have some final comments. You're listening to Black Law Tribal Edition right across the country today, the Yidinji country, the Yidinji territory, and right across the world. Thanks to our friends at Bumba Pepper Media. And you're listening to BBN 99.7 in Yiriji Land.
Yes, it's going very quickly. The, uh, the world's best radio program um, is coming to an end. Uh, listen, you know, uh, I went off there about the micronations a few weeks ago. I think it was last week. I do apologise for that, but I meant what I said. Can I say sorry and, and, and retract it? I'm sorry. Is that going to be a national get into you apology? Can that be accepted on radio? That I'm sorry for uh, going off there, you know. But I, I was very passionate about it. But you know what? Uh, it's true. Yudinji is not a micro-nation. It is an original tribal nation ordained by God. And um, God gave Yudinji this land. God gave Yudinji the language. And God gave the Yudinji men and women the ability to name animals, just like he did, told Adam to do that in the garden. Get, get all these animals a name. You know? We've got Gundaji here, Jijanji, Hammerhead Shark. We've got this, that, the other. Wongalai, Cockatoo, Garna, Black Cockatoo. You know, Junjun. we got this, that, and the other. And that's, that's come from the most high. And um, anyway, we don't have to talk about that because we already know that. But we can't forget who gave us, who made us, who made the trees and made the waterways and everything else. Don't ever forget that. So uh, some f- closing comments on this other uh, state matters, Kanyara? Uh, Look, you were just referencing there to the micronations around, you know, that was inside Australia. You've got to understand how a nation forms. You know, what, what is a nation? And a nation normally derives from a grunt norm, you know, the, the sovereignty part of it. Um, and, and that's the important part. Uh, if you can understand what it is to where law actually originates, who said we had the authority to make law? That was our sovereignty. That was our God-given right to associate together here, congregate, to uh, hand up some of our, our God-given authority, our sovereignty, uh, to form a central government, which was always here. So that's the sovereignty part of it. Same with the Australians. Every, all Australian citizens, all the Australian men and women, hand up some of their God-given authority to take part in the, uh, you know, the Commonwealth of Australia. So you actually got to sign away a little bit of your God-given sovereignty to take part. And that's how the states get sovereignty. Um, but we were here first. This is the important part. All nations derive from some form of sovereignty, the grunt norm, the, the basic norm of where law derives from. And in Australia's case, it's the Constitution. Our tribal status has always been here as in the Bible, but we actually started to form 
the Yidinji government from the basic norm. As, as, you know, so the Australian, just like the Australian Constitution, the Yidinji Constitution is the basic norm for the world of paper. Understand who you are. Understand identity. Understand where law comes from. Understand sovereignty. Why do you want to go and get a toy telephone in Australia? As, as uh, Professor Davis says there, you've got no right to veto or Harry Hobbs. You've got no right to veto law. What's the good of it? It's a toy telephone. We'll listen, but we won't answer. We won't get any anything out of it. It's because you don't know who you are. Your real authority is from your tribe. Yeah, you, and you can get a, a smartphone with that Yudinji app on it. That works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that toy telephone is like, you know, know the value of things. That's the sovereign ability. The true sovereign ability is knowing the, the value of those things or paper and that kind of stuff, right? And, Yuridam, um, uh, what, what were your final comments today? Yeah, I suppose, along with what Ganyara is saying, it's this distinction that they're trying to justify this voice to Parliament with between the difference between nationhood and statehood. And for all the First Nations that are in this country, um, they if nationhood describes their culture, well, that's great, but they have to create their own state to be able to communicate with Australia, not within Australia, but from outside Australia. So it's just that sovereignty perspective. So, you know, Guyabara is the boss here, and uh, all I can say is all the, all the people here, you just listen to the, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son had this inheritance, but the prodigal son was even go somewhere else, and he sought citizenship of a foreign country. But then he came back, and his father was there to welcome him back. That's the law here. The Yudinji is here to welcome you back, the one that created Yudinji Gaibra. So, anyway, I'm going to leave you with that, that thought. Because I think uh, when you realise the situation that I'm talking about, you should be coming home soon. doesn't mean you can't use your Australian stuff. You come and do this way, that way. Come back and forth. OK? So anyway, may God's peace be upon you. And in the name above all names, in Jesus Christ, Yeshua, I hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next week. Garu. 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 Clip when the government